0: Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond.
1: And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk.
0: Today, we're going to be discussing how the industry will transition to a new normal of operating, I can only hope, uh, during the pandemic. And then you're going to hear a snippet of my conversation with Janet Mock, who is a power now in this business, uh, behind such shows as Pose, Hollywood, and The Politician.
1: Now, I mean... Let's also talk about, as many of you have probably already heard, we are postponing our contenders TV event that was going to happen virtually this weekend until June 20th out of respect and out of um, obviously looking at some of the current events that are going on in our country and in our world. Um, But that, and that's something that's very important to us, but that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that this doesn't, this Emmy stop or Emmy's discussion stops. And as Pete said, a lot of what we're looking at here is a very new way of campaigning. I've been I've been very surprised at how I mean I shouldn't be at how quickly the industry has transitioned. What do you
0: What do you think, Pete? Do you think
1: that this is something people found their footing with, or they're still trying?
0: No, well they're obviously still trying. Um, I wrote a column. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about uh, how this might be a template for Oscar season two, which is uh, more of a question mark than Emmy season. Emmy season, you know, uh, the content is there. The actual stuff you really need uh, for an award season are all there. We can watch it. In fact, it's too much. It's overwhelming. There's more than there's ever been before in any Emmy season. Do you mean that because there's so, because we've got all these newbies on the block, like
1: Apple and Peacock yeah. and HBO Max? I mean, the thing that really gets me, and I, we've talked about this before, and I didn't think it would, would bug me, but it actually, maybe it's just because I'm a little nostalgic for it now. I thought I would really welcome not getting a forest full of DVDs showing up at my house and the office uh, of screeners. But in actual fact, it feels kind of, I don't know, it adds to the isolation that we all feel we're going through to some extent by not getting that. And I do think, I wonder how, how much more people will actually watch things now they have a digital link to it as opposed to a physical DVD.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the motion picture academy is moving in that direction, not for this this year, but for beyond that. And I think that's a mistake because, you know, what screeners do and I, I thought just the opposite of you, I thought I'd really miss the screeners and i don't in fact i've spent a lot of this quarantine period getting rid of uh, several seasons of screeners and it's great i've had my god you're like you're, you're like you're like your own digital digital trash dump you must have hundreds of them it was unbelievable i took them out the other day out to put them out with the trash pickup and some guy drove by in a truck and he says are you donating these? What, what is it? I said, it's just tapes. Oh, 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 can I have them? And I gave him five trash bags full of them. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> and,
1: and, and of course, four of those trash bags were just HBO and Netflix.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I had 10 years of those HBO boxes. And now we have, we have nothing. Now, why those screeners were good from a campaigning point of view is when you got them, you were immediately reminded of the show physically. You had it in your hands and that said, exactly. I've got to watch this. You brought up a good point. In the digital universe, even in television, which is all digital anyway, um, do you remember what you're supposed to watch? Do you have it on, on, on your mind? It I mean, the- I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really good... Look, I'll be honest with
1: you. The last time I put a DVD into anything was probably during the Obama presidency. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, and that feels so long ago, in my opinion um but it, 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 is, it, it is it is it is for me they would pile up on the on the on the back bar of, of, of my house where you know we would just kind of put them there they became door doorstoppers etc cetera, etc cetera. but there was a physical recognition it's sort of like you can laugh at billboards as advertising but the fact of the matter is that old school driving down the street and seeing this thing looming over you um, as like, you know, a hundred feet long and 20 feet high, it does induce power of recognition and power of recognition is, as you have told me many times is a huge factor in award show voting. If people know you, or if they know your name or they know your project, they're more than willing to consider ch- checking that box as if, as if you were a, uh, a newbie it's just have- real
0: they've got to be told that this is a project we believe in is awards worthy and and screeners are definitely a way of doing it although a lot of these places like HBO will just put their entire catalog on there for the year and that sort of thing but those billboards that you point out what you decide to advertise especially in award season in the movies too because the studios really are very careful about what they do want to campaign it tells the voter out there uh, hey, we believe in this, and we want you to see this, and so you'll make a point. Uh, it's appointment television all of a sudden if you're serious about voting, and uh, so I thought that was important. The other thing is a lot of a lot of people that actually vote that are dedicated to it are older, and you have to wonder if they're going to figure this out. I cannot tell you how long I spend collectively trying to make all this work on my big screen TV and connect. Mm-hmm laptop and everything. Yesterday for as a matter of fact to watch a movie uh, to review uh that Lionsgate had. There goes a fire truck. Uh that Lionsgate had. Um I had to call into Pix the service, you know, because it's also security driven. Yeah. And I was on the phone with support for at least thirty five minutes before we figured out what was wrong and yeah. why I didn't make it work. You know, this now you now that, yeah,
1: exactly now you, you kind of say, you know, I, I you could play devil's advocate and say, well, because of things like streaming, everyone's got a little bit more adapt to this, but it's not second nature to most people, the way it was flipping in a DVD, which was just one step up from flipping in a VHS uh, tape. But it's not just in the screeners and the way you watch the shows. You know, I have, I've, I've, I've become kind of fascinated with, I guess I've become a room raider, but because I watch all these producers or directors or or showrunners or stars who are, literally interacting with the voters from their living room or their, their home office and what have you. And I started, I started kind of negating them and like, God, what that, I'm not so crazy about that piece of art in the background or, Oh, that bookcase was totally staged. That bookcase looked way different last week. Now they've got all their smart books up there. Um, you know, but I, I do wonder so much of, I guess what was old retail politics was what informed award shows classic yeah. example, ben, ben Affleck, who, when, when, he, was, when he was campaigning, a, as you once said to me, he would show up for everything, and everybody got, everybody got at least two seconds of Ben Affleck that year. Oh, that is gone for this television um, ca- campaigning for the Emmys. It right. might be very different for the Oscars, because I do think, and we're seeing this as, as the country and as California and as Los Angeles is reopening, people are hesitant. People are not flocking to restaurants. They're not flocking to other places because they have some real concerns about being in those environments. And I'm wondering if that is going to become a permanent part of campaigning for going forward and how that will affect us.
0: I think it could, you know, at least for a couple of years, for sure. You know, it's very interesting to do these virtual interviews. And I have become this is I do know how to do now between my actor side, which I'm, I'm I'm holding them back at the fence. I've had so much interest in this because they have nowhere to go. Basically they're in their house and they want to do stuff. And so it's easier, you know, if somebody's. Yeah. Been- and then also too,
1: is when we would do, when we would do, we do our, 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 our various video series, yours and mine, you know, the other thing too is there's, you know, getting down to the studio, this and that, this is literally, this is literally people putting on some makeup at home and, and putting on a clean shirt. I always assume everybody is wearing shorts on, uh, out of camera. Um, or, or their pajamas. And it, it's so straightforward. It's like it is a 15-minute interview is literally half an hour of your life as opposed to
0: two or three hours, if you include travel, when people do this. I think people love these. They love them. They do. And I, uh, the other day I did one with Hugh Jackman and Alison Janney, a great movie, uh, Bad Education. And they were talking. Great movie. Great movie. Best, yeah. Best performance of Hugh Jackman's career, in my opinion. Sad there won't be an Oscar he's great, she's great, their true life story, I love the movie, they were great, she was doing this from an attic in her mother's house in Ohio, where she's been during this whole quarantine. And uh, she says she's going through everything and all this stuff. And he was doing it from uh, his apartment in New York. But they mentioned, they happened to drop, they said, and by the way, thanks HBO for the lights that you sent over and things. And and Allison goes, yeah, you know, they're still in the box. I haven't figured out how to how to use them. And uh, and he was fiddling with his light and it suddenly went out halfway in the interview. And he said, if I suddenly seemed like I was getting dark, Darker and talking about things. It was because my light went out. Uh, ah. and, uh, but yeah, now the studios are getting savvy to how the stars may look, how they're presented on on these kind of virtual platforms. They're providing. Oh, well,
1: every everyone is everyone is much more manicured the past several weeks as opposed to the beginning. As I said, I've, you know, one thing I've noticed is I've, I'm looking at the bookcases behind people and how suddenly like the books are lined up properly and there isn't like a coffee cup sitting in the middle of it anymore, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah. people are turning their homes into sets and into backgrounds. And that's oh, a, that's a process. I and a I thing- think that you're seeing it becoming quite professional. I mean, I'm,
0: we've been trying in our homes too. Oh, totally. I've got to say another thing that I've noticed here that they're trying. And I did write a story about this. I attended uh, HBO Max's uh, virtual premiere of, uh, you know, uh, The Love Life. And uh, Mm -hmm. and I want to see how that is. I think... It's so well done, what they did, but I think it's more of a gimmick. I'm not sure that I would go back. And I was I was talking um, for the same article to a lot of Oscar consultants about this thing, too. And one of them brought up a good point. They say, oh, my God, after the third time of one of these things, you know, you're going to go, oh, not again, because you don't have that real interaction. It is trying to emulate that but it it just isn't the same thing. It's fun the first time, but I don't think you can do it repeatedly. What I did find, what I do think is gonna be a new thing is I was talking to Apple and what they did was they did a SAG screening. You know, the infamous SAG uh, nominating committee screenings where they feed them and they bring them out and you get 300 of them maybe if you're lucky. They had 850 SAG screening uh, committee members for something for um, uh, one of their shows uh defending Jacob and they were just so over the moon about it I can't imagine that this won't be a something going forward in that regard too uh in in reaching the guilds and and academy voters that way well
1: I mean part of this also and, and you know we're going to wrap it up a bit for today but you know the other side of this of course is the guidelines that will even allow production to start again I mean We've seen the the guilds and the unions and the studios and the producers send some, some recommendations earlier this week, as I wrote about, to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and to California Governor Gavin Newsom. We've seen the task force, which Donna Langley and, and others are members of, also sending recommendations. These are now on the respective governor's desks. Of course, there is so much going on right now that these might not be the number one priority for them. It's a big priority for people who work in our industry who who have been without work since the middle of March. So that is something that we're keeping a very, very close eye on. What we're also keeping a close eye on, Mr. Hammond, is I believe you had a certain interview we were going to talk about to a real new mover and shaker in our industry.
0: I did. Uh, Janet Mock, uh, who is, uh, first of all, is very well known before she became a TV powerhouse. She'd written a couple of books, including an autobiography, a powerhouse in the trans movement and the trans industry in in LGBTQ uh, movements and uh, concerns and issues. So, um so bright and smart and so interesting to talk to and what we were talking about here was television and during emmy season because she is a mover and shaker as as it were on pose which won an emmy last year as you recall um and uh and and made a big splash and then this year uh netflix's limited series hollywood which she is a writer director and producer of, and the politician also at Netflix. Uh, what her mentor is really Ryan Murphy, but she also talks about how Nora Ephron's such an influence on her fascinating conversation, and I want you to hear some of that. Your whole resume, your whole life is just fascinating. The author of, uh, of a couple of books, uh, I mean, what you've done digitally uh, and on television and uh, so much for the transgender community and way beyond that. But what we talk about on this show is, is a show business and television and movies, and you're just exploding there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, how does that, I mean, you know, when I say history, you are the first uh, transgender woman to ever make a major deal with a major content player, Netflix, a three-year deal. That's never happened. Directing never happened. Writing, I mean, on and on and on. Did you ever imagine this kind of uh, success uh, when you jumped into television?
2: I, I I truly didn't, Pete. You know, what's so interesting about this entire process has been, you know, just kind of the not the impulsive nature of it, but kind of the push that I've gotten from my mentor, Ryan Murphy, you know, without his forethought and um insights to recruit me in a way from the world of books and essay writing to join uh, the writer's room of Pose, I probably would have never even thought of, definitely never thought of directing. I did have aspirations to maybe adapt Uh, write the film adaptation for my memoir, Redefining Realness. But beyond that, I hadn't really thought so deeply about it. You know, of course, there's so many inspirations that I can think to specifically Nora Ephron um, as someone who I now have taken on in this interesting way who came from writing about her own life and her opinions about the world, transitioning that into writing books kind of based on her experiences and then, you know, um, adapting those for the screen and then becoming a director in this way. And so for me, I'm just deeply grateful that I get to continue to tell stories that truly matter. Um, and that the work that I do hopefully pushes the industry and um, pushes and, you know, pushes more storytellers who are unconventional talents to come to the industry.
0: Yeah. You know, I love how you said Nora Ephron, because she's been a mentor to so many and such an extraordinary talent we all miss uh, now. But when you mentioned her, I'm, I look at what you've done and you're right. Wow. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and uh, she's mentoring you from beyond, or something. But
1: Pete, <laughs> I
2: mean, my first DGA card had Nora Ephron on it. As soon wow. as, yes, in 2018, and so it was so powerful to see her there. It was almost like she was speaking to me from beyond. You know, I had, I, I know her son Jacob. We're we're friends, and um, I had been to the premiere of his documentary. Um, uh, for HBO, and, you know, when I re-watched it just a couple months ago, I was like, oh, my God, the parallels from starting off as a journalist to writing about your own life to then directing, and it's just been really wonderful to have that example. You know, especially when you're the first. There's so much pressure to do it right, um, to not make mistakes so that other people like you are given a chance to come into these rooms and have a seat at the table. And so I think the stakes are so high that it's great when you can have mentors like Nora Ephron, like Ryan Murphy, like Ava DuVernay um, out there doing this
0: work. So great. When you mentioned Ryan Murphy, and I know Ryan Murphy, and I know his philosophy, showrunner, as advocacy, and, mm-hmm. and so many things that he's done, so many opportunities he gives to people. He just puts you out there and lets you do it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been it's been a film school by fire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's an easy thing to say, but not an easy thing to do. But he's that rare rare producer, or mogul or whatever you want to call him in Hollywood, who uh, who allows that, and I, I think that's amazing. And uh, talk about Pose. I mean, did you guys have any idea that this thing would become as successful and as much of a landmark as it as as it did?
2: No, not at all. We had no idea what if we would find an audience, if there was even an audience for it, all I think we really knew was that the story was important, that these characters deserved to take center stage. Um, and In a way, what I love so much about Ryan's show running as advocacy is the fact that he also knew that behind the scenes, he needed to recruit people who represented the folks on screen. So behind the cameras, you also have marginalized people, gay people, people. LGBTQ folk, um, trans folk, people of color, um, given a chance to tell their own stories. And I think that that's what has really resonated with our audience is the fact that they feel seen and heard for oftentimes really the first time in their lives that they get to see themselves reflected. And so for me to be able to write the scripts that I write on the show um, and then to be pushed Um, In season one, with episode six, "Love Is a Message," to direct kind of our calling card episode, I've been given that chance and be trusted in that way. Really instilled a sense of confidence in me that made me realize, like, oh, I've been bossing people around my entire life, (laughs) Um, and so let's let's figure out ways to like bring these collaborators on to communicate my vision even more clearly. To to just tell these stories that I think are so deeply, deeply. Um, aspirational and affirming for audiences who rarely get to see themselves.
1: Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now make sure, you're listening we really appreciate that, but tell your friends and neighbors as well. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a single episode of Pete and I just going off.
0: And, of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com.
1: We hope to see you there, and we hope you'll be joining us next week. Until then, goodbye.